At 6.15 in the evening, I finished the book. I wonder if Joe ever got to the end of it. There's so much more in it than he understood. What is it that Dick wanted to say? Nothing about his make-believe world. Am I the only one who knows? I bet I am. Nobody else really understands High Castle but me. They just imagine they do. He told us about our own world. This, what's around us now. He wants us to see it for what it is. And I do. And more so, each moment. Uh, dude! Hold on one sec, I'm sorry. All right, no problem, no problem. It's just me and you. Doug's gone. Good evening and welcome. I'm Douglas Bowles, and this is 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and, this, and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. Today is December 6, 2015, and we're going to explore the amazing power of fiction to evoke, even cheap popular fiction. That quote, spoken in Philip K. Dick's 1962 The Man in the High Castle, about The Grasshopper Lies Heavy, the fictional book central to the plot of High Castle. Yes, today is the first installment of the 42 Minutes Seasonal Book Club. This, the winter edition. Initially, we had The Eye in the Pyramid by Robert Anton Wilson scheduled for the fall edition, but our panelists crapped out. Well, save one my book club partner today. Prior to introducing him, though, I think I should take a moment and bring everyone up to speed. The show has been misbehaving a bit lately, hasn't it? Well, I got a new job, and it's trying to take over my life, and it's doing doing pretty well at it. That said, it made sense for the program to split production so that we can still bring you regular content. With my schedule totally out of whack, our four-year run of Tuesday mornings went out the window. Now, Will and I are recording shows when we can, still committed to the idea of bringing you a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. And today is no exception. Tonight, we share our first installment of the 42 Minutes Book Club with visual artist Dennis Cook. We spoke with him on 42 Minutes 185 about his exhibition then on view in Munich, which was partially inspired by the Wrong Way Wizard, Mark LeClaire, as well as Philip K. Dick. He is... A- <coughs> He is also part of the Bizarro Always Record crew, so check them out over there on our sister show. More information about the art of Dennis Cook can be found at Dennis Cook. Bye. <laughs> DennisCookStudio.com. Welcome, Dennis. How are you doing? Yo. Hey, buddy. Good to see you. Good to see you. Let's start the program with an error I made last week when speaking with David Gill. We were talking about identity and the work of Philip K. Dick and the difference between the surface of something and the substance. Anyway, when talking about World War II internment camps, uh, particularly the one located in Minidoka, Idaho, I referred to those interned as the Japanese. I reduced them to a label. I othered them, not intentionally, but it was totally there. 
um, a truer label, less othering would have been to say American citizens of Japanese heritage. So then with the idea of Asian identity, let's dig into the man in the high castle. Dennis, did you like the book? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, you know, um, but uh, it's like every time I read a, a Dick book, it's like, it just, I get this feeling that he's not really writing. He's, um, he is Tagomi in the ability, in his ability traver- to traverse to other places and is simply recording what he's seeing. And then he's playing a game as a writer after that. So it, so every, and he's, his ability to describe these alternate timelines is so incredible that when I read them, it really freaks me out because, um, you know, uh, sometimes you don't want to be an interdimensional traveler, you know, or, or you do and you're just blown away by it. So, yeah. Okay. So this is a book club, you know, where the, the book came out in 1962 so I think it's okay to spoil it. And so <laughs> <laughs> that said, if you haven't read the book and you don't want it spoiled, then maybe you should re- read the book and then um then come back and listen to the show. Now, uh, that said, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you Dennis was because I know that you were <clears throat> right in the midst of listening to it, reading it and watching the Amazon Prime show that we discussed that at the last hangout. Yeah. And I was trying to tell you how I've been listening to a ton of Philip K. Dick, but it was more of the science fiction stuff, the genre stuff that he does. And I was in, in particular, I really like Tom Weiner reading that his, but for this version, I really liked listening to George Guidel. So he, you know, he tends to read more literary works, and I thought his version of this was much better than the the Weiner version. Now, do an impression of him because maybe I, maybe that's the same one. I've listened to, I've listened to like probably four or five different Philip K. Dick books on audiobook, most of which I think are the same person. Uh, he has a very uh, strong diction, and he like really, it's very authoritative in yeah. his delivery. Okay, in Vallis, so. when he says, uh, what is it? Yeah. The empire never ended. You know, yes. so it's yeah. gravelly and it's a deep voice. Yeah, and I meant to du- double check which person to, because you had mentioned the names, and I just never got around. Right. That, so right. Interesting that you bring up diction because I I definitely want to hit that. But that said, this is a book club for our, you know what. Let's just start by what is the basic plot of this thing and who are the players. Oh shit. Okay, so the 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 thing and and this is what was interesting to be both um going through the book as well as the uh timeline of the TV uh show cuz there are some differences and uh, some rather big ones, but um the the main thrust of it is uh um the World War 2 is decided uh the J- Japanese and the Nazis uh, divide um, the U.S. and the main characters are um, in uh, the uh, Japanese-occupied uh, San Francisco area. Um, uh, Frank Fink is making. Um, he's well in the. <laughs> this is where it becomes hard to distinct to flip back and forth because uh, in the show he um, it has a similar 
plot because he's uh, altering uh, historical memorabilia that's being sold to the to Japanese collectors, uh, or, or he's making uh, collectible items and then they're uh, selling them. But he also alters one uh, a Colt forty four into a usable Colt forty Colt forty four, um, and he's also make he's he's an artist who's making. Um, making other shit, but he's like wants to make his own artwork. Um, and then uh, he, he, Juliana, his wife, is another major character. Um, uh, she is um, judo ex or no uh, aikido. Um, it's judo in the yeah. book. Oh, is it judo in the book? Okay. Yeah. Right. I don't know. It's it's hard to too many timelines, but uh, yeah. And then. Um, yeah, who else is important? Tagomi, uh, the trade minister. Um, Japanese trade minister. Yep. Um, and then the uh, book Baines. is kind of built around this central node of Baines, this spy who's coming to rendezvous with the Japanese dignitary undercover, and they're using Tagomi, who's like a mid-level uh, bureaucratic type you know, as some kind of, you know, bureaucratic meeting that is not really the, the truth of what's going on. It's a, it's, it's funny because when, when I was talking to David Gill, I would, I was trying to remember the book and I couldn't remember it at all. And (laughs) the second time I'm going to say that it was not as, I, you know, I thought there was a slowish period and I don't think that was the case this time because I understood what was going on and it was this kind of the convoluted political bureaucratic moment where they're just it's all the shifting realities of the different levels of bureaucracy and you know part of that is that at some point in the book the the chancellor the Fuhrer whoever it is you know dies and then there's a struggle for Nazi power and there's a lot of yeah uh, I think you're 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 that's a that's an important plot point here. There's a there is a potential for a vacuum in the way if the um as the Fuhrer might die, and so several uh, general or several leaders within the Nazi structure are sort of um preparing to move, um, which is like I always thought I thought this is like. Okay, I thought this was like a key component in terms of like some of the imagery because you know in uh, in the in the book they're talking about Operation Dandelion, right? Um, as um, as a uh, uh, they're to bomb uh, bomb Japan and uh, and and so this is partially what Tagomi and Baines are and find themselves working together to avoid. Um, now I might be conflating the TV thing here. No, I'm, that's that's correct. I'm, right. I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna say sorry in ahead of times if I end up doing that because it's like, <laughs> but anyway. So, uh, but I thought that was interesting imagery because like a dandelion is this vibrant yellow sun, and as the sun wanes, um, uh, it become. I David Foster Wallace did this. He had he used the word downy head as uh, the the. Uh, expression of a dandelion as it goes to seed and uh, floats or becomes the sort of white sphere that it, and so it's like this structure that is this uh, totalitarian 
um, structure always wanes in it, or it's not it's not solid enough to maintain its structure. So the the vipers are like positioning themselves to vie for a position of power in at a moment where it could collapse. So hmm. it's interesting because for whatever reason, the Frank Frank character in my head was reminding me of David Foster Wallace's Don Gately character. And I don't know if there's <clears throat> any similarity at all between those two, but that's what I was thinking about when I was hearing about Frank Frank. And so, you know, other pl- I mean, so it seems like the surface of the novel is is the political intrigue of living in a world that is split between the those defeated in World War Two, the Nazis and the Japanese won World War Two, and and then what is it to live in that world? And so in that world, uh, they're catering to the tastes of the, the Japanese ruling class in the Western United States, and yeah. they're making these fake items to sell to Japanese collectors because they're not ed- educated enough to know what true American authenticity is. And so like if the if the surface of the book is th- these political situation the substance of the book is the idea of the essence of things. You know the uh And you're also touching upon what's an, an a concept in the book which which is talked about a lot in terms of historicity right. an item having an uh, imbued sense of history. But then uh Dick does this great thing where uh you start learn that that, that uh, history is being faked, and so your whole the whole ground that you're taking as primary becomes uh, questionable. So um, yeah, like um, uh, the the I I think like um, they're like I think they call it woo in the book. Yes, some, an item that has originality or like a permanence to the. Um, to that point, but also like sort of a plasmatic mystical, uh, presence sort of thing. Um, but yeah. And it, it, I think what he's doing is he's like saying, uh, if history, uh, is something that's perceived in the mind, um, then, uh, the, pr- and, and that perception is okay. So that's located as a mind, uh, view, then the primacy of that timeline can be just as uh, shift foreground background. Like it's its location can be altered. Uh, yeah. Wait, it's the same idea. I had this conversation with the, with the boss. The, the idea of art and value. You know, so in his mind, he wants somehow to ascribe the value of the piece to like the materials in the art itself. And it's like, no, it's the idea of agreement that the thing has value, that that's where the value comes from. So it's the same with historicity where the the historicity is not in the object. You need a piece of paper to say, yes, this lighter was in the pocket of this dignitary when (laughs) they were signing this accord. Yeah. Mm. Right. But yeah. in opposition to that is this jewelry that Frank Frank is making, which actually is imbued with life. Like it's ensouled somehow by him 
the artist. The artist, which is a really interesting idea because that is, you know, that is the life. I mean, it's the life, The new, I mean, it's the new thing. And it kind of like blows everyone's minds that come into contact with it in the book. Yeah. And, and you know, that is... It's funny because they they do do they they don't explicitly lay this out in the TV show, but Tagomi is seen carrying around this necklace that he finds from uh from Juliana or Frank Fink drops a necklace at at the site of a an a of a attempted assassination of uh, the uh, Japanese um, emperor um, or emperor or prince or something yeah but anyways. He so he's he has this item that links him to uh, Juliana and Frank Frank Fink, um, which is this heart. So he's you know, and, and it's not as explicitly talked about in the TV show, but you see it on his desk. He uses it as this like meditation thing that's similar. It has a because the cliffhanger of season one, which I hope we can get into, because like the whole what is seen at the very end of that show is. I think really interesting. And that, so it, 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 um, the end of season one, uh, diverts from, okay. So when Togomi slips timelines in San Francisco in the book that, that there's like, there's, there are things that happened after that, but that's the conclusion of season one. So that's, uh, but right. And so to keep people, abreast who just listening at their own peril without having seen either <laughs> read the book the grasshopper yeah. lives heavy yes okay. right what I, sorry i'm not one to be good at like <laughs> lay out the plot of the thing i'm like thinking i'm like chewing on these little things so like right I, right yeah, sorry but so in in the book there's a fictional <laughs> book about what if this thing happened the other way, which is yeah. in opposition to what the book represents. So we're reading about a reality where the Nazis won World War II, but in that book, there's a, another book where the accent where the allies the allies won. So it's yeah. And then at some point in time, Tagomi uses Frank Frank, who is a hidden Jew which is interesting too. So in in that world, the dystopian world where the Nazis win, you know, they they did a, a number of nasty things including like draining the Mediterranean Sea and <laughs> yeah. and they're flying to Mars Basically and killing everybody in right. Africa like uh yeah. yeah, colonizing Mars at Venus, yeah. Which is interesting because that's like that is a reoccurring thing in Dick's world. Uh, the uh, colonization of Mars, like, because in Do Androids Dream of, Dream of Electric Sheep, there's the Rosen Corporation, which is already has a its own enclave on Mars. And then, like, look, you can't throw a stone in the in the conspiracy world this day, these days without hearing something about Mars, particularly, like, you know, people who are claiming to have been to certain enclaves on Mars. And mm-hmm. so it's like Dick's world... If any of it's, I don't know. It really makes you question a lot of stuff. But. Right, right. Um, Tagomi uses this jewelry, this this uh, <laughs> this object is like a wormhole, and he travels between the two worlds. Yeah. But then, so the what's weird? The thing that really struck me is that line where Juliana. 
And so, like, that's that's part of the plot is – so Frank Frank is doing his thing in the western United States, and then Juliana in the middle, the, between the Nazi and Japanese empires, there's the Colorado – Yeah, it's like a dead man zone kind right. of. And, uh, and she's in Cannon City where it, there seems to be some uh, – a group of uh, – yeah – in the show, that's very prime, very very focused upon the, okay. the uh, right. separatist group. Okay, and but so what's interesting is this book that no one's you know so the Japanese are curious. It's a curiosity to them, but you know it's uh, verboten in the in the in the Reich. But of course, everyone's reading this book that yeah. talks about this this uh, alternate history. And the author is living in Cheyenne. Well, they say they say he is, but then when she actually goes to to see him, or the, or I, you might have gone on to say this. I'm sorry, I jumped your gun. But I go jumped ahead. your Colt forty four there. But uh, he, it's said that he lives in a high castle in Cheyenne, and it's got guarded with turrets and to keep people away. But um, when Juliana eventually goes there at the end of the book. He, it's just a house, and he he is sort of unaware of the mystical powers of the book being a a a uh, potential real real alternate reality. Like, and he just used the I Ching to craft it, and uh, and she has to. She it seems like she's arguing to him that you know, hey, you should protect yourself because the Nazis are going to come and try right. to kill you. Which is a strange, like that's a kind of strange moment. The book does something really strange there, where, like, she discovers the book and is intrigued by the book, and she's with Joe, this Italian truck driver, <laughs> and but he's really on his way to kill the. Yeah, author. he's a Nazi spy. Right, he's a Nazi spy, which is that uh, that is something that carries over to the the, the TV show. Yeah. But then when she actually – so she, she's also a judo expert and then she dispatches him in the hotel room and it's a grisly scene. Yeah. I remember when I read it the first time just how he's holding his neck and he's slowly bleeding out and she, he needs help and she just leaves him in there. Yeah, her state, her mental state is really in flux at that point. So um, the way it's recounted by her is really – or through her is really interesting because it's like – yeah, she's taking a shower with her clothes on. She potentially swallows a razor blade herself. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. But then when she gets to, it turns out this the author's name is. So in isn't it a movie in the in the TV show? Yeah, it's it's a, it's it's this is what's <laughs> okay. It's a number of films, so they're they're on film reel, so they are collecting all of these different films and it and. Uh, and compiling them and in the in the in the in the tv show uh hitler has been collecting these films for what seem or like he's obsessed with them and he's collecting them it's like all hitler does is hang out in his bavarian chateau and like watch interdimensional tv like that's basically all hitler cares about apparently and he knows like that people are going to try to come and kill him but he's like hip to this game and uh yeah 
But yeah, which is funny. I, I, this was really funny to me in the sh- in the show because there is this car- there's this animated program Rick and Morty where they like they are always making jokes about interdimensional TV, and they like have several episodes that are all about interdimensional TV. So basically, I, they, it would have been just it would have been more humorous to me if if Hitler was just walk, watching Rich, Rick and Morty episodes. But that's just maybe that's. Just, secondary but as far i mean how does that how do they bridge that plot with the idea that julianne is going to the author the author's house you know they don't they don't get to that yet okay Uh, in fact they they don't even they don't even that's not even in the tv show that she's that she's trying to get to the um to the the maker of them they're they're just in season one it's just sort of they barely start to talk about what they've seen in it because what some of what they see incriminates like the truck driver who is the, the Italian truck driver in the book um, Joe. is in the TV show. Joe. Yeah. Joe is in the TV show. And one of the films they see is Joe killing Frank Fink, uh, executing Frank Fink. So that's Frank Fink and Juliana see that in the, their video or in their movie which is why they start to like not trust Joe. Um, so, huh. yeah. Yeah. But so it's with the strange thing about the way the plot does is that, so <clears throat> once they decide that the, it's like a road movie, kind of like, okay, we're going to go and see this guy in the high castle, the yeah. man in the high castle, the author of the grasshopper lies heavy, which is Philip K. Dick kind of like, yeah, he's, you know, he's the one, and then she kind of, and it's almost like she pantses him because she's like, you know, it, she kind of basically discloses that, oh, he didn't write this. The I Ching wrote this book. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And he, he like has, but in, in, the, in, in the prelude to them leaving from, uh, from Denver up to Cheyenne, there was another very Philip K. Dick moment because she... She lose. She forgets one of this special type of bra that um, that uh, right that a half bra dress. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But just this is so Philip K. Dick. This is this whole part was so Philip K. Dick because he loves to talk about boobs. But he so she like ends up putting the pin to keep her keep her top business from like fl- uh, from being. She's visible. gonna wear her fancy Italian dress. Yeah, yeah. And this is without so, a bra. Like, this is, this is exactly how the uh, Tessa Dick has described what she thinks his real vision was. So, like when he had his sort of transcendental pink light vision, was she? I think I think it's Tessa Dick claims that he was like staring at this woman's boobs, or or that's like part of the mythology supposedly. So it's just interesting that this detail filters into another one of his books, which is, you know, I mean, he does this a lot. He writes in the stories of other stories. So, yeah. Yeah. But then they go up there and you're right. He, she totally kind of pantses him, as you say, because, uh, uh, he, I I guess it hasn't dawned. No one's ever told him like, you you don't, no one's ever told him, Hey, maybe you wrote this thing that uh, is a real thing, but you, it's not your creation. It's the I Ching act going, using you as a vessel or, which is, yeah. It's right. Interesting. It's artists experience that a lot, I think. But then it, 
it made me think too if if what she's saying about the world um she's saying he told us about our own world this what's his, mm. what's around oh, yeah. us now what he wants us to see you know so it's like so it's almost this hint that you know all right maybe the nazis did win on some level right well, that, again, this is another one of these things that makes this book so crazy to read right now because we have other researchers like uh, Joseph Farrell and Walter Bosley. Joseph Farrell's wrote, you know, The Nazi International and The Third Way, these books that are talking about these covert Nazi structures that have been, that basically didn't lose World War II, simply went underground. And, it, and that's why... That's why or and Walter Bosley's tracing these these um uh threads that relate to the secret space program having um started, you know, in Prussia and uh and the and the West Coast. So it it's in this so it's totally becomes perception oriented as like so and I almost and as you explained, like I almost get the sense that he was in a different she's traveling to another reality. Like he is in that reality where the Allied forces win and and she's explaining to him or she's like she's intimating, you know, from her pers- per, her angle. <laughs> I mean it's I don't know, is she who's in what reality? <laughs> right. I mean, because so. Tagomi definitely transcends both. Yeah, and it freaks him out because in in the reality of the book, there are Asian pedicab drivers, and slavery yeah. is real, and there's definitely a hierarchy of what a human is, yeah. and you can sense that. Like you forget um, until he goes into what would be our United States, and he goes to a diner, and there's a bunch of white people at the counter. Yeah. And he asks them to get out of the way because he wants to sit down, you know? Yeah, so he slips this re- he slips this reality, and he still has his own ego center as what defines his what he's used to. The I- identity, and, right. Yeah. And so then uh so that veiling mechanism, he he's he tr- he slipped it, but he's like how terrifying would that be? Like I've actually had I've had friends that like communicate with homeless people because or they have tried to like strike up conversations with homeless people because they feel like some of these people are slipped into these sort of areas and it's like how do you help bring somebody back out of that or is that or is that even something you should be active I don't know I don't know if that's something you should take somebody out of because maybe their reality center is just as valid as I don't I don't know uh, but yeah, and then you hear these stories. Okay, so he sees the Embarcadero at, um, over San Francisco, and he's like, "What is this monstrosity? Like, what reality? What world am I in? Where are the pedicab uh, right. people?" And you know, it reminds me of these stories of people that have seen liter- like cities in the clouds. Like, are they tr- are they doing the same thing? Like, what <laughs> what is going on? Or is that? I mean, is that a? I don't know. Is that a? Is it all blue beam or what are people seeing yeah. into other things? I don't know. Now, the the thing that I noticed, though, the thing – so the character of Robert Ch- Childan, 
Chill Dan. Who I think is, by the way, that character who plays him in the TV show is a really great um, uh, translation of, of, of the book, I thought. so. Well, because – so you don't realize it. I mean you do realize it, but you don't, that he is a white person. Yeah. So – but he is definitely not – part of the ruling class and he his whole life has been to try and you know accumulate wealth and status in the system where he is not part of the ruling class and yeah, so he's extremely concerned of how how to behave and present himself at all times like hyper aware of that right right and so he's trying to negotiate their uh protocol you know the system of you know, just the interpersonal communication stuff. But um, what's so fascinating in Philip K. Dick's book, The Man in the High Castle, is the language that Robert Childan uses. Because I noticed yeah. this, is that, and I don't know if that's racist or something, but so the way yeah. certain Asians speak when they learn English, they don't use a lot of personal articles. Like, yeah. And so it's really a sparse language you know missing a lot i mean so it's and childan thinks and speaks the same way that you would have an agent speaker who learned english speaks english yeah 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 and and yeah at first you're like is this so fucking racist of dick to be writing like this but it you i mean is an expression of how he's yeah i mean i can see how it would it would it would become so pervasive that you would think like that and and then in turn write like that to 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 convey that it's it it amazes me like you say i don't know if it's if it's <laughs> horrible like cultural appropriation or you know like reducing the you know something a few people do to like you're saying this is how they behave like this is like it's it's really an interesting thing but as far as like to carry it off throughout the course of that i mean so that's not how some of the other frink doesn't talk and think like yeah. that but childan definitely does um yeah but it's also interesting in that so the book is about what is authentic in a lot of ways and so when he meets the young japanese couple and they're actually trying to find the authentic you know Childan doesn't care he's just trying to make money he's selling what he thinks is authentic and he knows his craft but he doesn't really know what authenticity is and so that's why there's all these fakes turning up in his store that he sells yeah. to Japanese collectors looking for is it a Colt 44 or Colt 45 Colt 44 it's a, a Colt I think it's Colt 44 yeah yeah yeah, which becomes really important later because Cold Forty Five is the drink. Oh, that's Doug. what it is. <laughs> <laughs> right. Childan Childan was not drinking Cold Forty Five. No. He was uh he was a high class man. Yeah. Yeah, but so it's it, this it struck me the first time I read it, and it struck me this time that it doesn't. There are elements of Philip K. Dick in this book, but it doesn't feel like a Philip K. Dick book to me. It definitely feels like this is it, the craft is. It's more than what I'm used to out of Philip K. Dick. Yeah, I hear you. 
I hear you. I thought I thought um, there was a couple of things David Gill said that I thought was really great. Like, uh, um, and it, I was I immediately thought of it when you read your introduction and sort of the, what that quote quotation meant. But like, yeah, would Dick have gone on to just what would Dick do if he was exposed to the the level of information and rea- different realities presented through the internet? Like, would he have been a? The, I think Gill mentions maybe he would have been a tea partier or something. Right. But like, he would have fucking freaked out. Like, I really think he. I don't know. It was just too much. I think it would have been. I don't know if he. I don't know. But like you say, there's this bizarre quality. Like maybe he was. He's been here. He's seen it. Yeah, I know. Oh, I know, Doug. I, it, it's because I, 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 and I, I don't know where I read this once, but he was, he used to play a game where he would, uh, like try to basically remote view, uh, magazine titles and that, and then he would, um, describe them and, uh, it became like, a maybe that was part of his writing style or something, but anyways, I think he's just remote viewing shit. I think he's just like, this is how, or, but maybe all, it gets so murky because is that really just how art making is done? Like, um, I don't know. I don't have an answer to this, but I feel like he, he's, 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 um, like describing these different the characteristics of these different potential timelines so specifically that it makes me wonder if he's just seeing them like children children or like to go me pops through to see mm-hmm. it yeah you know? and you know didn't he basically it, his description of his uh of his experience where he um went back in time uh like biblical times right yeah i mean is it really that different? I don't know. I mean, it could be. I don't know. I guess I don't. I'm not. I'm not recalling that the details of that description so specifically right now. So maybe. Hmm. When we spoke with the friend that inspired or helped inspire the Maze of Death, he talked about this having such a great ending. And I'm yeah. trying. I'm trying to think because then David Gill said that it doesn't really end; that it's just kind of open ended. And then even Philip K. Dick said that he was thinking about writing a sequel. And so I, I'm like trying to reconcile those two things this time. As as far as because Bill Klaus alluded to that, didn't he? Didn't he mention that in a in our uh, in yeah. the members conversation? He did. Yeah. Th- that I think. Uh, maybe it was Radio Free Album that might have started as like more of the Man in the High Castle, like that. Yeah. Okay. So you got to just have another conversation with Bill, and then just insert it in the middle here because he knows all that much better than you and I. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. It definitely. She goes to the party and. And then she realizes that he's not special, that it was the Oracle that did all the work. And then she just, she leaves. And I don't, I need to listen to the ending again now. But the, oh, what the interesting thing to me was, so I spent my summer listening to Gravity's Rainbow. George Guidel read that also. And so I had his voice in my head. And then there's this similarity of themes and topics a little bit with, uh, 
World War Two and the Nazis and and all. So it's it's been an interesting year, is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the I've been like trying to. I mean, trying to place some sort of understanding as to why, why now, why Man in the High Castle is a TV show now. Like, what? I mean, I and I, maybe there is no reason, but I, um, like, I it made me think of. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but there is an Edgar, Edgar Casey prophecy about the about the United States being torn in half by a a uh, um, a uh, earthquake down the New Madrid fault line and then also one that would impact the West Coast simultaneously and uh it just the intro the intro to the TV show it very explicitly shows this 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 dead zone down the Rocky Mountain um and it and it and it reminded me of the Casey thing and um Oh, but I also think that this tear down the middle could be metaphorical in terms of the like sort of um, racial divide that that's prevalent. More than that, too, though, just the left-right split seems like unbridgeable. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, and also like, or even simply a yin yang type expression. Um, I know, and which comes up quite a bit in the book, but like, the, uh, or it's it's explained. I think Dick actually. Exhibit, exhibits an amazing understanding of of that that but one that I can't <laughs> accurately recite. But um, yeah, I don't know. The, this split consciousness um, seems to be uh, imbued in this uh, in the opening intro to the show. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so I I'm trying to I'm trying to understand if that this is symbolically being um uh intimated by Ridley Scott and um, right right mm. this is our moment why why is this our moment <laughs> yeah uh yeah i also think the book just like it's it's presenting two different um it's like like the nazis are just the culmination of how this type of thinking creates a structure. So it's, it is like an archetype that, 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 that inevitably creates itself if allowed to go in the direction that it, it wants to go. And, uh, and maybe, I don't know if the Japanese society or empire is being presented as some sort of polarity to this Nazi thought structure, but uh, I don't know if that's what's being presented, or if they're saying that in the in the breakdown of these this moment where these two things break down, a third thing is a possibility. Um, I don't know. I, anyways, I felt like I was seeing. I felt like I was seeing what what happens if if these suits are dropped, and you're and and this is what Bill Klaus had mentioned. This like. The characters are seeing two different realities, and then they want, or they they see a, a third, and they want to get to that one. Well, that was forty-two minutes. Thank you for sharing it with us. Well, we did something. <laughs> You've been listening to Dennis Cook on Forty Two Minutes, the production of SyncBook Radio and the SyncBook.com. 
Information about the work of Cook can be found at DennisCookStudio.com. For more information about the Sync Book, our guests, to check out past shows or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at TheSyncBook.com. If you like the podcast and would like more, consider becoming a Sync Book Plus member, which Dennis is one. Some of our membership benefits include full access to the complete audio archive, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio, and video, as well as monthly online hangouts with the hosts. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com slash membership. Thanks so much, and work the sentences if you wish so that they will mean something or so that they mean nothing, whichever you prefer. Right.